Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today on the show, I am joined by Jay Sher of the podcast Podzilla to talk about the infamous slasher core movie. It is Friday the 13th from 1980. Hello, Jay Sher. How you doing? Hey, Bracca, I am doing so good, and I am really, really excited. Um, Friday the 13th, it's like a, it's a classic. You, you haven't covered this on the podcast yet, have you? I haven't. No, I haven't covered any of these yet. No, this is this is Dude. one of the big guys. This is, I'm really looking forward to doing this because this is just a big one. Uh, this is coming out. I'm, I'm releasing this on the week of the 13th, but as I'm looking at the calendar, there is a Friday the 13th in the month that I'm going to be releasing this, so... Part of oh me, I normally goodness. release episodes on Tuesdays. So I'm kind of wondering, should I just like sneak this one in on Friday the 13th as a little <laughs> uh, celebration? <laughs> that's, that's perfect. So today on the show, we are talking about Friday the 13th part one. And just so people know, if people weren't part of that Instagram live that I did back in March, I think I did that. Uh, Jay Sher and I are going to be covering every single Friday movie. We're going to mm-hmm. be doing one movie a month and there are 12 yep. Friday to 13th movies, which is the most <laughs> ironic number it could have had. That's so that so means annoying. that this is a year long endeavor that we are about to embark on, Jay Sher. So once a month, we are going to be covering each or once a month, we're going to be covering a different Friday 13th movie. We're going to be going in order, of course, and I will be releasing these on whichever week of that month has the 13th in it. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really excited because for Podzilla, we kind of, I'm going on this like Godzilla journey every episode we release, but I'm going to have the Friday the 13th journey, like beside that, also going through these every month. So this is going to be so cool. This is going to be so much fun. And before we get into the fun and the chaos of this episode, Mm -hmm. I want to go ahead and shout out my partner, Horror Press. What an awesome website, horrorpress.com. I freaking love this website they have so many good articles and editorials in the authors there are like really cool people i'm starting to interact with some of them super rad in around the time that this is coming out there's uh there's gonna be some mother day stuff on there there's some pretty good summer editorials on there too and summer's around the corner there's this really good article on the creature from the black lagoon i recommend everyone to go check out that should be a future episode oh on here at some point but yeah, horrorpress, horrorpress.com, links in the show notes. Be sure to go check them out. What a great website. And have you been doing um have you been doing a couple of articles on there? I think I saw a story of yours the other day. Yeah, I I write little kind of like mini uh, excerpts on there from uh, awesome. episodes that I do, but uh, I do plan on doing more stuff from them and like uh, doing like a monthly like it came from Shutter. So like things I've been like watching on shutter will oh, be so coming cool. on there and things like that so yeah be sure to go to horrorpress horrorpress.com those guys are awesome all right so back to friday the 13th so mm. this is so this is such a weird franchise let's just start off with that <laughs> this is a weird and wacky franchise that yeah it seems like there's no rules to it um mm. the things that it's famous for are nowhere are not in the first movie <laughs> by the way um spoilers for everything i mean this movie came out in 1980 i'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've pr- you've seen this movie, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. But spoiler alert, Jason Voorhees is not in this movie. Uh, mm. His murderous mother, Pamela, old Pam, she's in this. It's, it's just a weird franchise. And there's so many things I want to point out about why it's so weird. And it's a, just an interesting thing. But Jay Sher, I know that you are a huge Friday 13th fan. Uh, tell me a little bit about your history with this movie and the franchise. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't. I, I did 
I wasn't a huge Friday the 13th fan growing up. I'd never really watched the movies until like the last year or even after I finished high school. It always, like classic horror movies, Friday the 13th, like the Halloweens, Nightmare on Elm Street, they're a massive blind spot for me. I, I liked horror, but I'd only really ever seen like The Conjuring and Alien and The Thing, which my dad really enjoyed. So I've made sure to show us as a growing up. But yeah, I, I just realized they're a massive blind spot for me. So one day, I, I think we must have been on a holiday at some point, and I just set myself a little challenge. Why don't I just slowly make my way through these franchises? So I was doing it like once a week, I'd go to our local DVD rental place, the only one we've got remaining here in our town. And I'd just oh, grab. no way. Uh, yeah. So I'd just rent out, uh, work through Elm Street, then Friday the 13th. I fell off a bit with Halloween, but yeah, it was really, really cool. And just like you were saying, it completely took me by surprise, the, the first Friday the 13th specifically, just how how it was still pretty scary and just the suspense in it. But not only that, but I was just completely taken aback that, hey, Jason isn't the killer of this. It's Pamela Voorhees. Who knew that? And yeah, it's just kind of, it's been a, it's stayed on my mind and it's been something I really enjoyed and keep going back to because of that reason, just that initial surprise with what this film actually is. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird experience. And this is like Friday the 13th. I can't remember the first time I actually saw this movie. I think I, I must have been in high school, I think. And mm. like you, I do have some like blind spots, of course. And this franchise is one of those. I've seen only a peppering of these movies. I haven't seen every single one. I've seen parts one, two, and three. And then I, I've seen that 2009 like reboot or remake thing. I'm not sure <laughs> what that was, but those are the only four <laughs> I've seen. So the rest of them. I haven't seen now I have done the dead meat run just because you know yeah. a, I was I was a yep. fan of that YouTube channel well before I even got into podcasting for for this show and everything but I mean it, it's such a weird franchise I mean it Friday 13th is I want to say it's like a cornerstone in my love of horror but mm. it's Honestly, it was like the video game that kind of really got me into the franchise. <laughs> yeah. That came out in like 2017, I think. That Friday 13th video game, now. which is, I I really enjoyed playing that game. I try to get on there when I can, but it's very different these days. And when I started playing that in grad school, that was like kind of like my little escape after work. Like every day after work, I'll go home and just get on Friday the 13th and just like just <laughs> uh, kick back a few beers and just like play on there and just like have fun. And that's when I was like, you know, what? I should probably watch these movies. And my <laughs> girlfriend and I were going through them and. I don't know why I did it, but we watched the first three. Then I jumped the gun and said, I, you know, I really want to watch that 2009 one. Let's just like, let's oh, just skip no. to that. Yeah. And she really didn't like it. She didn't like the the sleeping bag kill that's in it. She goes, that's yeah. too much for me. So that kind of derailed uh, the, <laughs> the, the viewings. But I'm excited to go on this adventure together. And yeah, uh, it's it's funny you say all that as well, because Dead Meat specifically, that's something that I found while watching the series the first time. And the game is something I fell in love with as well. So it's this weird thing that it's been a real formative uh, like franchise for me, especially with my love for horror movies. But it's not just the movies that did that. It's been things like James A. Janice and been things like the video game mm -hmm. and just it's a whole lot of things all at one. But it it's funny that we both kind of had that similar experience. Yeah. And it's like kind of like you said, like this, this franchise is very ubiquitous. There are so many things and channels that this has like spilled into. And to people that are not familiar with horror, they kind of just use Friday the 13th as like synonymous for the slasher movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and you know the, the there's the, the Jason hockey mask with a machete and it's iconic. even been like yeah, it's iconic and but we don't get that to the third movie and it's so fucking <laughs> yeah. weird isn't that so and funny it is and the and it's also like blended and like people kind of have like a false memory with like because there's been so many like adaptations of this like where we mm. see like guys in hockey masks or hockey masks with their chainsaws which he never <laughs> wheels a chainsaw yeah. in these i mean so it's just like a weird franchise but in but let's talk more about part one from 1980. I like this movie. I I'm not like in love with it, but it is a comfort movie for me. It's, I, I liked I, I kind of like its pacing for most of it. Um, it's just kind of like a fun. We're in the woods. There's we're getting like this weird POV of a mystery killer. It's raining. There's like good atmosphere. It's the most atmospheric or one of the like the better atmospheric uh, constructions in, in a slasher. So I, I give it props for that. Yeah, I mean, I looked at what I rated it or how much I liked it last time, and I saw it. I gave it four stars out of five on Letterboxd, and I'm like, surely. Surely that's a mistake. Surely it doesn't hold up that well. But I, I got to say, I, revisiting it again, I I do really, really love this movie. And for the same things you said, I love how it's kind of a, almost a murder mystery mixed in with the slasher aspects. And even just from the opening shot of the movie, the opening scene, we get a flashback to the 1950s. of All these counselors singing around the campfire. Then we stuck in the iconic ki, 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 ma, ma, ma. And then this first person <laughs> perspective. And I just, I, even from that point, I was like, yeah, this is, I dig this big time. It's just real, <laughs> real, almost unique in the genre, which is still really cool to this day. It, I think it's such a testament to the people that were making this movie, because not necessarily yeah. the, the person in the director's chair, who I think is probably the weakest craftsman in mm-hmm. this movie, but it was, Great. he surrounded himself with, a good team like tom savini fucking just i know knocked Knocks it out, out of the, the park. park so good so good that's that i think that's the thing that sticks out the most to me is that the practical effects are so good um the music harry manfredini's score in this is mm. fantastic it's so good it honestly <laughs> deserves to be in a better movie i mean <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i was completely taken aback by the music and again i don't i don't know if it's because the video game features it so heavily and it was almost like nostalgic for that reason for me but it is. iconic stuff iconic it's so good and so i, I guess i'll talk about like, the director like a smidge so this movie was directed mm. by sean s cunningham and the kind of conception of this movie is very unique and bizarre. So Sean S. Cunningham just wanted to make a horror movie. And he, he came up with a title first, which was Friday the 13th. And he had no, no script, no story, literally had nothing. He says, I'm just going to make a movie called Friday the 13th. And he was curious if there were any like legal rights issue with that name. So what he to make sure that there wasn't, he took an ad out in the paper, like a full page ad saying like Friday the 13th coming in theaters, the scariest movie you've really? ever seen. Before they'd even written anything at all. And he did that to well, see if like he would get any letters from lawyers saying, hey, you can't use that name. <laughs> and he didn't. 
but it, it got the interest of like uh, some um, like production companies and other like filmmakers. So Sean X Cunningham reached out to Victor Miller, who was the writer of this movie. Mm. And basically Victor Miller says that Cunningham called him and just said, Hey, Halloween made a ton of money. We need to rip it off. And that's basically what he said. So Victor Miller went to the theaters, watched Halloween, took notes, and basically came up with this formula that we see in Friday the 13th, in which is that the movie opens up on a prior event. So like an evening that happened in the past in which teens died. Uh, The present day teens are busy fornicating and doing drugs, Mm. and there are no adults around to save them. And that was kind of like his basic formula for for this and i mean how you just said that's how this movie opens up back in 1958 and uh then we go to the present and just there's just no adults as teens doing shit and everything and (laughs) i mean and and, and that's it i mean they just kind of boiled it down to those elements um and also kind of like this like they kind of added in like this mysterious thing um with, with the killer not knowing who it is and i did love what harry manfredini the the composer of this movie what he was saying is that that dude is very smart and he spoke very intelligently about how he wanted to craft a score and how he wanted music to play a role in this and it in his whole idea for this was very similar to what john williams wanted to do in jaws and that he wanted the music to cue the killer and that's it he didn't want music or his score to be used in other parts for like false scares wow he, so whenever we hear his score, that's when the killer is on the screen. And there's other times when there's false scares, like when we have Ned at the archery range and he shoots that arrow at Brenda. And that's kind of like a, that's kind of like a jump scare, but there's no yeah. music with it. No score behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry Manfredini said that was, he goes, I, I could have done like, you know, like a point, you know, just like a jump scare to add with mm. it. But I only wanted to save my music for the killer and the killer wasn't there. So, so it's just like all these people around Sean S. Cunningham were like really smart and like <laughs> cool and how they wanted to do. And Sean S. Cunningham yeah. was just wanting to rip off Halloween. So it's, I don't know, I just That's find that hilarious. Crazy. I never knew that story. And even like, it didn't even click this time around that the flashback scene's very, very reminiscent of the flashback scene, how Halloween starts off. Like, that's insane. I never knew any of this. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I got the box set, so I have like these bonus features. And guys, I just fucking love bonus oh, features. Jealous, it's, dude. It's my crack. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so they kind of like got together and did this movie. I mean, everybody that was part of this first one really seemed to enjoy it. Tom Savini was super cool. I really liked how he he kind of like had to sort of invent a lot of stuff for this, like the whole slit throating prop that they have for this that like prosthetic uh throat that they'll slit he kind of just made that up uh the whole kevin bacon neck popping thing yeah with, uh, fire poker that was all great i mean it was really cool just hearing tom savini do this and he he helped sean s cunningham with a lot of the uh like framing and staging of the shots with some of these kills that needed practical effects and i really appreciated tom savini's approach to this because because so I think like the best example that they had in the Blu-ray was when they were talking about framing the kill for Marcy, which is the 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 lover of Kevin Bacon and this Jack's mm. the character of Jack. And so she gets murdered by an axe hitting her in the face. 
but it's a rubber axe, of course, because, you know, it's like prosthetic and everything. But Tom Savini said that he he was telling Cunningham that it's smart to let's first let the audience buy in that these are like real things with weight and everything behind them. So they did a shot first with a real axe swinging up and hitting the light and like breaking the light bulb. So that way you kind of got that feel of like, oh, this is a real thing. And then in the next cut, when you see the rubber thing hit it, it doesn't it doesn't seem as fake. Or yeah. he would say, like, I would like it when he would have, like, the killer use a real axe and purposely miss the actor. And it's, like, hitting the wall. You see, like, pieces of wood fly. So that way you get a sense of, like, real density and physics behind it before we swap it out for the prop axe. He's like, that, mm. he, that was, like, his code for all of this. And then Sean S. Cunningham is just not a good director. He, the, the, the direction <laughs> in this was just not good. And, like, the edit and the editing job is not great in this yeah there's some oh rough edits it's funny that you're saying all this because even though it sounds like it started off as just a complete ripoff of halloween it seems like the passion of everyone else involved other than cunningham like elevated it so much that it is different enough i feel just with the changes that they made and how much care they put into their different aspects like i i think it stands on its own did you did you did this very much remind you of halloween do you think it's a clone or would do you think it's different enough it's close to it i mean it's it would be different so they, they were smart enough to not have like that element of kids or babysitting in this because if yeah. there was any element of like, yeah, like steve right. christie had like a kid like like one of his like sons or daughters with him and like when he went to go get a cup of coffee for four hours and <laughs> he just left the kids with the counselors and they're like oh we gotta like watch little tommy or whatever um I think I think then they'd be like, okay, what are you guys doing here? You know, um, <laughs> or if, if it would have been like Pam killed her nieces and nephews, like still having that that like sibling or re- relation bond between the killer and the victims. I was like, all right, that that might be a little close, yeah, but you're like, right. yeah, I feel like that this is enough to where it's like, okay, there's definitely like insp- inspiration from this other slasher, but this kind of like galvanized a lot of the tropes that we get mm. like halloween kind of just like established sex equals death but this one's yeah. just like hold my beer halloween like the, the, yeah. this franchise is, that, that is the rule of it yeah yeah that 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 cut when we go back to steve christie and he's just sitting enjoying coffee <laughs> so good and what's he been doing that... everyone's just getting killed he's just enjoying a cup of coffee a single cup because his total tab is less than three dollars and it's just like, how long have you been at this fucking diner, Steve? Like your 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 family dream of like running this cab this 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 camp is just in ruins right now. And he he doesn't care. And I'm just like, what is he doing in this movie? <laughs> Even Steve's whole character, I I really found it so funny because we introduced him at, him at the start. We hear that he's um, bringing this campgrounds up and running again. We first see him, his look. He's like in real short jean shorts. He's shirtless. He's got like red bandana and rolled up socks. And he's just heading on. What's I forgot the main, the leading lady's name in this. The final girl. Alice. It? Alice. <laughs> he's heading on Alice and he says, you're very talented. You're very pretty. And he like awkwardly touches her hair. And it's just yes. this real awkward <laughs> This real awkward it's, scene, and then he just leaves for the rest of the movie. It's he's like, all right, hilarious. I want to get a single cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Oh, dude, 
No, you know what? You know why he's at that diner? Because he just got rejected by Alice. He doesn't want to yeah, come that's back. It. That is and it. and the the waitress at, at the diner is kind of hitting on him the whole time. So he's just like yeah. he's just going there for like an ego charge. It's like what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense because I mean, straight after we're introduced to Steve, Alice goes off and meets. I think his name was Bill, and <laughs> the other guy working at the camp. Same thing. His outfit's just outrageous. I don't know what was happening in 1980, but he's again, he's got no shirt on. He's got like long, bright white <laughs> pants, red suspenders. It's just the wardrobe in like, this the is fashion. phenomenal. Oh my goodness, it's, it's so good. I there's this podcast I listen to called We Hate Movies and. I love one of their quotes about this movie. They said it's the eighties, but it's, it's, but like we're just coming out of the seventies, so everybody looks like garbage, but they're gorgeous at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, but that character you just brought up, Bill. Uh, did you know? Do you know who that was played by? Like who he's related to? No, I didn't know at all. So the character of Bill later on in this movie, he's like playing a guitar, and he's the one that gets like shot with arrows and is pinned up to a door. Yeah. His name is Harry Crosby. He is being Crosby's son. You're joking me. I'm not. What? It's being what Crosby's world? son. Isn't that crazy? Being Crosby's son. We've got Kevin Bacon in this. Like, what? What's happening? <laughs> I know. It's it. It's it's just crazy. I mean, it's it, it's such a weird movie because you have all these people yeah. in it. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, I definitely want to talk about Alice some a little bit, but I'm wondering if we should do that later. Uh, or we should like talk about the final girl now. I don't know. What do you think? Let's let's save it to later. I've got some stuff for Alice later on too. Okay, okay. But I mean, this is a fun movie. I we kind of talked about it already. I love the atmosphere that's in this. Um, it's 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 kind of just like a good old comfort movie. When I was because when I rewatched it for this episode, it was the first time I've seen it in maybe five years, and wow. I was just like, oh, I like kind of forgot how much I actually enjoy this. Cause I kept thinking about the nit, the nitpicky things like with the editing and just how we have to, we have so much downtime in this movie. There's so many times where we're just like watching somebody make coffee or yeah. we're watching the cop <laughs> turn around, turn his motorcycle oh, around and get cop. all the way out of the driveway. And it's just like, dude, you could cut this. It's fine. <laughs> watching them play strip monopoly. What, what even is strip monopoly? What is the? <laughs> I don't understand how this game works Bracker, because they're saying they're not using money and they're paying rent by clothes but isn't the whole point of monopoly that you win by having the most money is it just an excuse to take their clothes off I <laughs> jay sure all i'm gonna say is don't knock it till you try it <laughs> oh whoa, okay we gotta we gotta break this down Bracker strip monopoly professional and here. that's okay. i'm gonna okay. leave it at that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right but no, that is a funny scene because that's kind of like a it's way more creative than what we get in things like Chopping Mall, where it's just like a fucking orgy inside like a yeah, sofa so store. True. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> all right, how can we get these teens being like all sexy and like breaking that like sexual transgression or yeah, yeah just committing sexual transgressions like how can we do that without like explicit sex like just have them play like strip monopoly and like why not strip poker oh what the fuck just have them play <laughs> strip monopoly i don't I know, know. But... you're so right though like the decisions when it comes to just i guess how much sex to actually show like i was surprised of how 
little sleaze there was in this. I mean, we do get one sex scene between Kevin Bacon and I think it's Marcy. But apart from that, like, I I was surprised just with how little there is in this first Friday the 13th. It, it, it does it does go up a bit in the in the um entries to come, but it's it, it played it quite um it quite it played it quite safe and I think it was kind of a better movie for that. It wasn't I guess it it's not known this first movie for being sleaze and blood and gore and violence and I do love kind of what I said before how it is just more of a contemplative mystery almost mm-hmm. with all these kills in between it. No, I think that's a good point because it's it wasn't like when I watched sl- uh, the Slumber Party Massacre and I kind of had to yeah. brief my fiance before we watched. It. It's like, hey, just so you know, <laughs> there's just like so this this movie is borderline softcore pornography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't anything like that. It's still like we still have the whole like trope of like women's nipples being visible through t-shirts and this or right. like yep. marcy walk we have like a two-minute scene with marcy walking around in her underwear for no reason um yeah, yeah. Th- so th- there's like moments of that but i mean comparatively it's not as sleazy as the others you're right so mm. yeah it's something it's something that just surprised me we'll see we'll see how we go as we get along with the other parts but <laughs> yeah i find it surprisingly safe <laughs> for sure um shall we go ahead and move on to the subgenre categorization yeah let's do it so the subgenre categorization for friday the 13th part one from 1980 i mean up top it's purely a slasher it's a slasher movie yeah 100 percent. it's more slasher than even I would say Halloween, just with the amount of kills and the amount of gore. This mm-hmm. is pretty much the go-to in my mind when I think an 80s slasher film. Yes, and it, kind of like how we talked about, it really sort of solidified a lot of the rules that we think of with slashers, with the kills, the sex and drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. th- we get people investigating noises in this. We get people investigating weird yeah. things, people going off by themselves. Um, it is that whole trope it has like all those tropes that we think of and it has the trope of the final goal too which we get in slashers and kelly what you're saying it's even more slashery than halloween to an extent because yes halloween's a slasher but there's also something about slashers when they are campy like there's a lot of camp to it that it kind of it just like gives it a little bit more pizzazz to say like this is like a capital S slasher, and this is way yeah. more campy. No pun intended, because it's at a camp. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then Halloween, it's way more campy than that. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, this is like a capital S slasher. Mm-hmm. I also did appreciate just as I said before the mystery elements. Like I don't know if that's really a subgenre for horror movies like this. It's like a whodunit, yeah. Yeah, it is like a whodunit. Like the Pam Miller being the killer is the is a mystery to the whole thing because you assume that it's jason you hear about this boy that died here you hear about why it's called camp blood and you assume that this guy's probably coming back from revenge but then to change it up and be like it's his mother uh it's yeah it's it's just interesting for a movie like this it is and it's kind of also interesting how they build the mystery for this isn't Mm. it because like you said like you, you maybe think it is Jason because we get a lot of our exposition from the truck driver at the beginning of this movie that picks up Annie. Yeah. 
And yep. I, I fucking love the rap sheet that he has for Pamela Voorhees not knowing it's Pamela. He goes, <laughs> the kid drowned in 57. There's two murders in 58. Water poisoning. <laughs> arson. There's just been like all these rants. So like Mrs. Voorhees is just yeah. running around this camp at night in her sweater. Just like setting the cabins <laughs> on fire and poisoning the water. Just <laughs> Yeah. So funny when you realize who it is. It's so good. It, it's like I I kind of wish we got some like flashbacks of her just like just like like yeah. wearing kind of like the like like the war paint like camo <laughs> just like imagine just like, going I'm, for I'm Arnold like, Schwarzenegger Camilla yes. like imagine <laughs> <laughs> get back in the uh, cabin yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, like time has been kind to this movie in the way that most people will be like oh it's Jason Jason is the killer and it might still surprise people that watch it which i think is actually really cool how it's just and because of pop culture and because of how well known this movie is it will surprise people perhaps even more than when it was released Mm -hmm. i think my only gripe with the mystery part and this is just like a personal thing i just wish that we get like a little bit more clues like i wish that she was an established character that like we had met previously just because that i think that would be more shocking when that happens because I mean, she's not introduced into the movie until like the last 15 minutes or something like that. Mm. And so it's kind of like, it's pretty surprising when we see her anyway, because it's like, who the fuck is this? Like, and you do get that shock of like, oh, this whole time has been this middle aged woman that's crazy. (laughs) But I kind of wish that we like maybe met her at like the diner that Annie went to or. You're right. That would have been a cool, yeah, that would have been cool to put in. Yeah, or like, I don't know, there's like a scene with like her and like Steve Christie or something like that, but I don't know. But th- that's my only gripe with that part. Yeah, and I did appreciate the, a few little clues. Like, even though we didn't see her at the start when it opens on these two counselors that are making out and they get killed, you can tell when they, I mean, it's all in first person from Pamela's perspective, but you can tell when they see her, they're like, oh, sorry, we weren't doing anything. So, like, they kind of respect her and know of her and look up to her, like, they wouldn't be um, responding that way if it was a kid. Yeah. So there are little clues and hints, which I did pick up on a bit more this time around, which I appreciated. Don't tell my mom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they yeah, kind of yeah, have yeah. that attitude about it. Yeah. 100%. Um, and outside of that, I, it, I mean, this is kind of like a stupid note, but I mean, I think it's true. Friday 13th movies are kind of a genre of their own. I mean, they're kind of mm. like their own beast in a way. I'm pretty sure that's all we got for subgenres for this one. <laughs> It's pretty. It's pretty clear cut. It's it's classic. It's campy. It's a campy slasher. Ooh. However, though, is it a, like? Is it? Can we qualify this as like a teen movie? Because you know how like they're like they're like oh, teen you're right. movies. Is this is a this teen like a movie? coming of age? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it probably is a teen movie in the way that like uh, all those classic. I haven't seen any of them, but like the teen, like Beach Party Massacre, Slumber Party Massacre. Like it is. They're kind of a subgenre of their own, right? Teens yeah. getting together and hanging out when something goes wrong. Yeah, and even like outside of horror, like like super bad or like Project X. Yeah, you're right. Like th- yeah, those yeah, kind yeah. of teen movies too. American Pie. Yeah, mm. um, man, there there needs to be a movie that like plays out like American Pie, and then it's just like, oh shit, this is a horror movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure yeah, that that'd exists. Be so good. Cause, probably, cause yeah, probably. Because it's as sleazy as like one of these like '80s horror movies. So yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's out there yeah. somewhere. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get into the fear analysis.
So getting into the fear analysis, according to Dr. Carl Albrecht, there are five types of fears humans share psychologically, and those are the fear of extinction or death, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, rejection, and humiliation, shame, worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. As I always do on the show, I'm just going to state, we're just going to use that as like a launching pad, but yeah. um, all right. Jay, sure. I'll let you kind of get the ball rolling. What kind of fears do you automatically see this movie playing off of? I I really love that you do this as a section on each of your episodes. It's something I always look forward to. And I, I think I said it last time I was on, but this is something that's like embedded into my brain when watching horror movies now. I'm like, oh, what's, thanks, what's this? What would, this, what would the fear, fear analysis be for this? What kind of things is it trying to show? But I think definitely for this one, extinction. I mean, people are dying. People realize that others are dying and they're wanting to survive as long as they can. Uh, also, the mutilation one, I mean, bodies are getting mutilated left, right, and center, real gory. Even at the end, the dismemberment of Pamela Voorhees, that, dude, that shot, Pamela getting her, Pamela at the slow-mo, her getting her head cut off, her hands still moving as she's falling to the ground. It's fantastic. So good. Oh, my goodness. Tom Savini, man. Uh, <laughs> and then other than that, I also, I also put down abandonment, I guess just... Being oh. on your own in scenarios and just hiding out somewhere or just scared that everyone else around you is gone and you're having to go against this threat solely alone. Yeah, those, those are what I noted down. That's a, I loved how you phrase that for abandonment because, yes, I had death, of course. The body mutilation, I feel like, is almost more than the fear of death in this movie just because of how graphic the kills are mm. and like the practical effects are so good. So I kind of had mutilations like at the top. But yeah. when I... In my notes, when I wrote, when I came down to like separation abandonment, I put question mark kind of, but you kind of just phrased it in a way that like really clicked in my head with how this is about that. Cause this is about, this plays back into that formula that Victor Miller said that this is adults cannot save the day in this movie. And it's like, it's these yeah. kids are on their own for this. And it's like that fear of abandonment, like, oh my goodness, like authority figures and people that can actually help me. Like, we get two cops in this movie that do nothing and i love how like they kind of do that fake out with steve christie getting the the ride from the cop back to the camp and you're thinking oh man thank goodness like the cop's going to get there and he's going to like solve this but nope he just like drops yeah (laughs) yeah or even when like pamela first shows up and you don't realize that she's the killer you might not and she's like i'm here to help i'm going to help you out like there are these kind of moments that make you think oh they're going to come and save the day but nope also kind of think about what this movie would be like for parents watching like because you know summer camp is a thing that it's very popular a lot of people do that <laughs> i never did it but like mm. my best friend did it every year and you know if you think about it you are you're letting this camp just take care of your child and to think yeah. that you know this this is a possible outcome of like them drowning because like people just weren't paying attention or them getting mm. killed by someone enacting revenge on the camp or something like that. It's, it's like a pretty scary thing. I'm not like sure how to pin. It's terrifying. Yeah. How to like pinpoint that, but it's just like that parental fear of just losing your kids and like how that would change your life and change you as a person. And like, just like Pamela's arc that, that we don't see, we just see her as the villain now in this, but yeah, I think it would be kind of cool to kind of see, like that like breaking points in her when she just when sh- she gets the news that Jason's dead and she just now has this vendetta against youths. Oh, and 
yeah so it's kind of like that parental fear of like other people taking care of your kid and them doing a bad mm. job of it man when this whatever's going on with the friday the 13th rights and lawsuit when all that gets resolved give us friday the 13th camp blood showing the event happen showing us pamela going crazy imagine i would love that i and i hope they give us that what what we kind of just joked about like her being like arnold schwarzenegger in commando and just like sneaking around the yeah. camp and yeah, yeah. burning shit down or whatever poisoning like, the water my goodness oh my goodness it's it's gonna be like that movie joker but it's just called pamela <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But, but for some reason joaquin phoenix is still pamela in it i'm just kidding but uh <laughs> oh oh so i mean outside of those things that's like all that's kind of like what i was getting um the, for the humiliation shame and worthlessness like the death like the death of ego i put that I said, like, not really. And in fact, that this movie is oddly shameless. Like, none of these characters really care about, like, an ego or feel shameful for the things they do. And in mm. particular, I'm thinking of like, the character of Ned, of just... Yeah, how, how comedic relief, really, this this movie. He's a comedic relief, but he's kind of a shithead in this movie. And, yeah. like, like, the pranks he pulls, like, like almost hitting someone with an arrow, which was like Tom Savini's idea, by yeah. the way. Um, <laughs> or just like, he fucking pulls the squints from the sandlot in this and he fakes needing CPR. <laughs> just to get that kiss. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That so, scene, when he's in the water, did you pick up on, I think it's Annie. Oh, sorry. I think it's Alice. She goes to get a, a, a life ring, a lifesaver ring, and she throws it in the water just when he's just about out. And it doesn't do anything. It just pulls it back in. So, <laughs> such a good sequence. But yeah, you're right. He's a he's, he's faking that death just to get a kiss. My goodness. Yeah. So it's, I kind of found that odd. That's like this this weird like there, there's no shame that these characters have. I guess like the only like real is, instance of shame that we get is that quick glimpse with the um with, with the two camp counselors at the beginning that they're opening kills from 1958 because they kind of have that like oh shit i just got caught like making out with my girlfriend or boyfriend yeah. like oops yeah, like right. i feel dirty right now so we kind of get a little bit of that with them but their fear is way more rooted in like fuck i don't want to get fired or like have you like yeah. tell my parents yeah. like and have and then and then bring dishonor upon their family uh they're not thinking about getting killed and and mm. until we see it with, with with the girl there but um yeah, so just like kind of like death, bot bodily invasion, mutilation, and I like that a uh, fear of like abandonment in this, and like that parental fear of other people taking care of your kids. Did you have anything for the scariest part in this movie? I don't know. I, to be honest, this time around there wasn't. I didn't get scared that much. I knew everything that was coming. It's pretty tame. I love the gore effects, but there isn't an instance that really stuck out to me as just being scary, terrifying. Mm -hmm. I think um, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but I think when Kevin Bacon is killed straight after that sex scene um, and just out of the blue, he just gets completely skewered through his neck. Uh, that was pretty like shocking. Um, mm -hmm. it, I, I remember that one freaking me out a lot when I first watched it. But what, what was Pamela doing? How long was she under that bed for? Was she there the whole time while everything was happening? <laughs> great question man great question because like she, so she killed ned stuffed him in the top bunk and then she was yeah. just like the, the, you know what she's been like sneaking around these camps for decades you know <laughs> since the 50s she 
she probably knows which one is the fuck cabin. And she's yeah, like, this is the right, fuck cabin. Right. I'm just going to chill here. This is the one. Yeah. this <laughs> Just go into town while she's just underneath the mattress. Pamela. Also, pervy Pamela, I'm now realizing, she's just waiting to watch teens have sex and then kills them. Yeah. Kind of pervy. And that's that's kind of the reason she's killing them in the first place is because they're having sex. So what's, what's happening here? Double standards, Pamela. Speaking of double standards, she baits brenda later in this movie by like sounding like jason going help me help me and she goes and investigates to go save the kids so she's like wait so she's killing one of the camp counselors for trying to save a kid now like with the right thing yeah it's play by your own rules pamela (laughs) we'll we'll count it up so so that she's just gone loopy she's just insane at this point in time but you're completely right i caught that one too Um, so for the scariest aspect, I I do agree with you that I I wasn't like really scared, you know, rewatching this. Maybe when I was in high school. I can't really remember, but maybe when I was in high school, I was like just a little bit just because it's my first time watching it, and I was mm. kind of a weenie in high school. But <laughs> so I I did have like three contenders for things that I really liked, and honestly, the best I think most like well crafted scene of tension that like kind of like gets your like heart pumping a little bit is the whole marcy and jack thing so like so like jack gets killed uh and that's the kevin bacon character he gets killed and that's like a really good like shocking jaw-dropping moment just in the method it happens because um because up, up until this point the kills have only been just like really quick like neck uh, throat slits and this one is so much more penetrative and it's way more shocking and it shows you way more blood. Um, it's very shocking. Like, oh, shit. And like, and it primes you for, oh, fuck. Like, that was some like major bodily damage. What's going to happen to Marcy? And then they, yeah. he, I will give Cunningham credit here. He frames and constructs this whole Marcy hunt down scene very well because we get like the, the music starts to come in. We get like the the mm. shadow spilling into the room as Pamela like slowly creaks open the door, and you you just know that like the killer's in there, but you don't know where. And you're just like Marcy, get out of there! It's yeah, so good. Yeah. And then the like the 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 chef's kiss moment. Marcy kind of like opens up a some sort of sheet, like a shower curtain or something, and she goes, "Oh, I guess there's nothing." But you see behind her the shadow of an ax going up and it's like, it, yeah, that's actually really good. Right. That's all of that's really good. That's and awesome. then, then like the practical effect and of the ax, like halfway through, through her skull is so good. So I had that as well. It didn't scare me. I was able to appreciate of like, wow, this is really good horror construction on film. Um, yes. So I kind of had that as like my number one, scariest moment of this and then my other two contenders i had were just like mostly jump scares with with uh jason jumping out at the end of the movie that is a jump that is a very effective jump scare, yeah I think. that's what a way to end the film yeah and then i had the and because I, I i did gasp re-watching it this time but the shock of just seeing bill with bow and arrows in him pinned to the door as like, because I forgot that was happening. And then when she just closes right, the door, he's yeah. there. I was like, Oh shit, there's bill. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I had those as my, uh, like contenders for scariest moments with the whole Marcy hunt down scene being the scariest. Yeah. Nice. I completely agree. Even just, um, 
thinking about it, I re- I think the use of the first person from Pamela's perspective up until the last 50 minutes is actually really well done in this. It creates a lot of tension in the scenes. To keep these Friday the 13th episodes fresh and spice them up a little bit we are going to be Mm -hmm. adding in a new segment into these episodes which are called the Voorhees Awards segment so we are going to be let's go you didn't like my suggestion of Voorhees Awardies I thought that was Voorhees Awardies yeah okay (laughs) we need I mean if you want (laughs) that's so bad you wanted to be rhymy or whatever yeah we could do that Um, so for the Voorhees Awardies section um, (laughs) we're going to be talking about Best kills, practical effects, the best and worst acting, our favorite quotes, and best death acting. Oh, and I almost forgot the Friday Fuckhead Award. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will just to see who you select for that one. That'll be yeah, yeah. I'm, I think that there's a unanimous choice for that, but we will get there. So let's first start off with it's a Friday film. Let's start off with best kill. Um, who do you have for best kill in this movie? Uh, I was tossing up between two, um, but I ended up going with, I keep calling him Kevin Bacon, but it's Jack, right? Yeah. Yeah, just um, what Tom Savini did with that, looks like Kevin's, <laughs> looks like Jack. Jack has a completely fake body and he's just got his head sticking up through the beard and it just looks so good with whatever's getting pushed up through his neck, the blood and gore effects. It's just, um, it's amazing. It's It's really what I remember when I think about kills for this movie. But runner-up was... Pamela, and as I said before, just her getting decapitated and those hands still moving. It, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it's still so good. Oh, interesting. You and I had different runner-ups, but I do agree with you that Jack, Kevin Bacon's character, is probably the best kill in this. And it, there's a lot of points here for the practical effects, as we mentioned, but also he, he, we we get to watch him die. It's not like we see something quick and then like it happens off screen or anything. Yeah. Cause like, there's a lot ca- of that in this. Yeah. And so we get to see like the terror in his face and everything as it's happening. And it's, it's so good. And it was the most, it, it was the kill that broke the mold in the movie. Because as I mentioned earlier, this was the first one that wasn't just like a quick stab or a neck slit. This was, yep. th- th- this one broke the mold for like how the kills go in this movie. And they were just kind of like ramped up from here. But my honorable mention was Bill, just because I love the practical effects of him. You know, we don't get to watch him die, but we, it's still very shocking finding his body pinned to the door like that. So I kind of had that as an honorable mention for one of my favorite kills in this movie. Yeah, that was good. And then for practical effects, there's so many good choices uh, for like which ones were the best, but... In my rankings, I had Jack, Bill, and Marcy as my like top three like favorite practical effects moments from this movie. Yeah, I yeah, Jack was definitely up there for me, and I really enjoyed. I forget what her um the cook at the start of the movie when she gets her neck slit um, by Annie. Pamela Annie. Yeah, I I I mean it's just a simple <laughs> slit of the neck, but it's it actually looked pretty good. Yeah, no, that one's really good too, and that. We we kind of failed to mention how like that chase scene was actually pretty good because you know it yeah builds up a lot of tension in the car and you know the car mm. doesn't stop and she's talking to this person but they're not replying and we get that 
uh, Manfredini music coming in and everything, and she jumps out of the car. Yeah, all the stuff with Annie, I I really I really loved, and it's so funny how it sets it up almost to make you believe that she's going to be the final girl or she's our main protagonist, but then mm-hmm. she just gets killed off. <laughs> it's also a really good example of daytime horror that we get. Yeah. Oh, so good um but yeah so uh, we, we talked about jack how good those practical effects were i've already talked about bill but marcy the axe mm. in the face it looks so good it like I, I feel like that one doesn't get talked about enough it's it's yeah I just it looks great i love that one all right now so for acting so the I, I, I think you put down in here the Crystal Lake Campiest Awards for the like campy acting <laughs> the, or whatever. The campiest counselor? Yeah, yeah, the campiest <laughs> counselors. That's it. <laughs> All right. So for uh, best act, best and worst acting, who do you have? Uh, I didn't actually give it to a counselor. Thinking about this time around, I put down Ralph. Ralph, um, oh man, <laughs> old Ralph. You go to camp, blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph! Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. I'm a messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. I think we just met Ralph. It's a death curse. You're doomed. You're all doomed. Yeah, he was just, um, he was really good. I, I don't think he's a great actor, but it's just so campy. And I, it, all his line deliveries and just every instance of Ralph in this, he just randomly shows up in the pantry at Camp Crystal Lake and then just <laughs> shouts at them all and rides off on his bike. I just, I loved it. Phenomenal. F- phenomenal decision from you. Because I, I went, I, I kind of forgot it's supposed to be like the campiest acting in this. But uh, I kind of went with, uh, oh, I mean, going in that same vein, I, I went with uh, Pamela. Just because at the end, yeah. she's cuckoo for cocoa puffs 100 percent. yeah all the like monologue she does it's it's killer mommy killer she does like that whole thing it's kind of crazy but i think my favorite little like performance piece that she does in this and it's not even like goof it's kind of goofy but she (laughs) she, it's when she pins alice in the corner and she's just just backhanding (laughs) her it's fucking <laughs> hilarious and the power behind those slaps oh my goodness <laughs> it's so good i don't know there's just something kind of comical about it and like kind of can't be just like because they're because at this point in the movie they're <laughs> alice is in a room that you want to be in if you're in a horror movie she literally found the one cabin that's just filled with rifles and she does nothing yeah. with them and, yeah. and they just they just result to hand-to-hand combat it's kind of fucking hilarious um for worst acting i'll, I'll go ahead and shoot my shot and then uh, hand it over to you it's marcy i thought that marcy was kind of lousy in like the acting department in this i mean it's it's i don't know her whole death scene was i mean her acting in that death scene was just pretty bad death acting and just like ah, mm. like she, i don't know she's just there kind of just like screaming waiting for the axe this is going to sound kind of weird and i might cut this bad sex acting from from everyone in that scene just yeah no i'm with you there <laughs> just bad sex acting from everyone well there. i mean coming off the back of your pick for worst acting i actually put down jack or kevin bacon i just <laughs> i could not stand kevin bacon he sucks at this i don't know what what's happening 
he's kind of just always there. He's got no character to him. It's always like he's just no real enthusiasm into his lines. Uh, just his haircut, his style as well. I don't, I just, Kevin Bacon didn't work for me in this one. So I'm going to give it to him. Interesting. I kind of did love it whenever he, because a lot of his dialogue's kind of talking about weather in this movie. Like when that storm comes in. It's going to storm. <laughs> can tear down that valley like a son of a gun. When the storm comes in, he's like, oh, man, that's going to eat up that valley over there or whatever. And I don't know. I'm just like the weather (laughs) report from Kevin Bacon. Fucking love it. Um, But yeah, okay, you're allowed to have that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So for, did we want to go ahead and get into quotes or best death acting while we're kind of like talking Uh, about this? Let's just go with the acting, right? Okay, yeah, let's stick with that. So we kind of just talked about like the acting performances just like throughout the movie. But I wanted to give an award for best death acting. And I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse at this point, but it's going to go to Kevin Bacon in this with, with the whole neck thing. And okay. It's really good face acting that we get yep. in it. So Yeah, I'm actually going to give my award for this one to the camp counselor at the start of the movie. I think her name's Claudette. She's oh. one of the ones that Pamela kills at the start, and it's just so good. We don't see her death. But just the scream she has, and it like slow mos and freeze frames on her scream on her face before it cuts to title card. And yeah, I just I loved it. <laughs> she does like a really good like bugs trapped in like in a glass sort of thing. Yeah. She's like yep. uh, up against it and everything, up against the screen. She's like, ah, like I don't know. Okay, okay, interesting. I did not see that happening. I thought we would have both yeah. said Jack for that, but you 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 surprise. You're full of surprises, Jay. Sure, there um, we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you want to get to quotes? Yeah, um, I wrote down a few, but the one that I chose for kind of my favorite quote of the whole movie, and it's quite of a random one, but it's it's the police officer that comes to look for Ralph. Yes, just yes! some of this his is lines, a phenomenal but... exchange. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. Oh shit. All right, who are you people? Camp counselors. Uh, Nettie's just fooling around. Yeah, right. I'm just fooling yeah, can't around. Echo cheese. Chief Christy, how are you, Chief? Mm-hmm. pay you for this? Yeah. Hey, nice buy. She been smoking, boy. Smoking? Don't smoke. Causes cancer. You know what I mean. Would you just get up a spaceship or something? Colombian gold, man. Grass, hash, the weed. Dig it? Hey, what's he talking about? They don't get smart. Me? I'm as dumb as they come. Hey, another word out of you. You understand me? Officer, sure. officer. Really, uh, nothing's going on here. We're just trying to get the police. The whole thing's so good. But the one that I love is when he gets told, I think he gets told to leave or head back into town. And he, all he says is like, Roger that, 10-4, on my way, out. And he leaves. <laughs> it's like saying the same thing four times over, and then just gets out of there. It's just uh, his delivery and just what he's saying. It's just it's so memorable for me. Man, I, maybe I looked over the cop for the, the campiest like, counselor award yeah, acting. Because like, Dude, it, it, it's phenomenal. It's a total heat check, this cop. I mean... Yeah. He shows up, first words out of his mouth. All right, who are you people? <laughs> yeah. What the f- yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I love when he's talking to Kevin Bacon about um, like, you smoke. And he goes, he goes, the cop goes, what did you just get off a spaceship or something? Colombian gold, man. Grass, hash, the weed, dig it. Yeah. <laughs> what the f- Everything this guy says, I just, I was <laughs> laughing. So I just on my phone in bed, like my wife was already asleep and I was surprised I didn't wake her up with like this dude specifically. I just, oh my goodness, so good. 
he gives just enough inflection to where it's not deadpan, but it's like just like a half step above it. And it's he is just stone cold serious for this. It's yeah, an, an incredible heat check from, from, from this cop. Um, <laughs> I had crazy Ralph for his quotes. I love yeah, the, me you know, too. It's a it's got a death curse. You're doomed. You're all doomed. <laughs> And then of his course, delivery of it—it's just—I don't know how he said the death curse line the way he does. It's crazy. Yeah, I just love—he's just like the town drunk that just yeah tries. He—he's the—he's the harbinger in this actually. Yeah, and yeah. That's kind of something I forget about. Um, and then I also had like the Pamela Voorhees, uh, just the killer mommy, killer all that. So yeah, I felt I I had to mention that. There's so many memorable lines in this. It's yeah, it's so good. Uh, one that I'm going to put as an honorable mention in here is Bill's character because he has this really comedic moment when it's it's the snake scene when when Alice I think it was Alice discovers a snake in her cabin yeah, that snake scene oh my goodness oh my goodness yeah so she calls Bill in with a with a machete to hunt down the snake and he <laughs> has the machete like mid air he just dead dead stops goes what do you want me to do <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. I just oh. burst out laughing. Um, I didn't write down a lot of them, but yeah, runner-up quotes as well. Ned says a lot of just stupid, memorable things. I mean, he's totally, and it's something we'll see as we go on, but every one of these movies pretty much has a dude who's comic relief or who's a bit wacky. Mm-hmm. This was definitely Ned in this one. But just a lot of what he says, he has like, there's multiple times maybe when he just randomly out of the blue asks weird questions. There's one part when they're all swimming and he's just like, if you're a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Like he just he just like deadpan asks all these random questions, and it's like, what are you doing, Dan? Why are you asking these things? But yeah, I bet you he like found one of those cheesy camp counselor like guide like textbooks of just like these are good <laughs> yeah. icebreakers for kids. Yeah, what flavor of ice cream would you be? Yeah, stupid <laughs> motherfucker. Which brings me to our final awards <laughs> segment, which is the Friday Fuckhead Award. This award yep. goes to the most fuckhead person in the movie. And we have to give an example of like their peak fuckheadiness that makes them win the award, that pushed them over the top of the other fuckheads. For me, it was Ned. He was a clear front runner for this f- from the beginning. <laughs> but the thing that pushed him over the top for me, it wasn't the arrow almost hitting Brenda. It was the fake drowning and him pulling a squints from the sandlot to yeah. make out with this chick just to get fake CPR. <laughs> We all went because, well, because Wendy Peppercorn was the lifeguard. I've swum here every summer in my adult life. Every summer, there she is. I can't take this no more. Move! And he did the most desperate thing. I was like, dude, fuck (laughs) this guy. I can't wait to watch him die. And we don't even see it though. But but anyways, Ned wins my first Friday fuckhead award. That is fair. I, I to be honest, I kind of loved Ned. I don't know. <laughs> he was just so wacky. Came out of the left field so many times. Like I don't even know what that Native American stuff was that he was doing at that one point in the movie with the headdress on. Wacky. I don't even want I don't know, but who I'm gonna give this to is once again Jack, Kevin Bacon. I don't know. It might just be really? me. I, he just annoyed me whenever he was on screen in this movie. And I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Kim Bacon. I love Footloose. But something, his character in this, I don't know. 
And the, the scene that I was like, okay, I really, I don't like this guy. Was at the very start of the movie when they're just driving to the camp and he's jamming out to this random like banjo music that they're just <laughs> booming over their stereo system. And I'm like, these guys, this dude specifically, I don't know. It's probably just me, but I couldn't stand him in this. <laughs> That's so funny. It wasn't because he wore the smallest Speedo ever and doesn't know how to oh, dive into yeah, a lake. I forgot about that. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> that was really funny watching him forget how to jump in the water because yeah. if you. He- if people don't recall, he tries to dive into the water to save Ned, but he ends up doing a belly flop. He does not do a dive. <laughs> oh, yeah. So those that. are the very first yeah, yeah, yeah. Voorhees awardees <laughs> segment for Friday. The- <laughs> he goes, I am the fuckhead of this episode. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. We shall move on. Getting back to the typical outline for my episodes, we are now in the messaging part of the movie. Are Was there any sort of messages or any kind of tinfoil hat things you got from this? I will admit for these Friday 13th movies, this might be kind of hard to do because these are kind of purely slasher gore movies with some boobs. But I mean, yeah, for, for this movie, were you picking up anything for messaging? I mean, I kind of get the same thing across all of them, and it's kind of just this blanket message of don't have don't have sex when you're out at camps, don't have don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't play strip monopoly, like just <laughs> behave or else you're gonna get killed. Behave. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It seems like that's pretty much like Jason's whole drive and everything else later on. He's just killing everyone that's like misbehaving or not doing what they should. But mm-hmm. besides that, I didn't get really a deeper message. Did did you pick up on anything? I kind of got a little something with this first movie specifically just because of Pamela. Mm. And I kind of saw this as like just the older generation blaming the newer generation for everything that's wrong in their oh, lives. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. Because she kind of just blanket statements, just hates camp counselors and youths. And because she's been doing this for like 20 plus years now, you know, mm. from 58 to 1980. She she kind of just has like this blanket hatred to this demographic, because even though that's not the same like generation of people that were responsible for her kid's death, she still just like irrationally hates and blames this one group of people. So it so maybe not even just like generational hate, just a person hating on a certain group of people for something that one or two people actually did. Um, yeah so uh, that's what I was kind of getting from this from Pamela and I'm in- I'm interested to see if the other movies have c- any other sort of things you get out besides kind of like you said there's like you know these are the rules to survive a horror movie don't be stupid yeah um, but yeah no in this one this one's kind of unique because we get that Pamela just cross-generational thing of her selecting camp counselors as like mm. these are the types of people that I fucking hate and they deserve to die even though they had nothing to do with the transgressions I have against them, yeah, they're going to suffer for it. You're totally right. I'm glad you brought that up because even like we were talking about before, in some instances, these camp counselors behave in the way that they should. If they hear someone calling out for help, they go and try to help and they're always looking out for one another and they're always not always doing the wrong thing. You said like rules for your typical horror movie. So interesting that 
that's how Pamela comes into play. Yeah. And do you think there's anything there about like a mother's wrath in this? Because it's like it's specifically a mother's revenge. Like, is this yeah. like a secret Mother's Day movie? Like <laughs> Oh my goodness. Absolutely. A secret mother's that's day. That's pretty Mother's Day is coming up soon for over here in New Zealand where I live. So yeah. finally. Yeah, around the time I release this, it'll be around Mother's Day here too. So it's uh, so I guess Pamela Pamela Voorhees is kind of like the horror mother besides besides yeah. the xenomorph. The xenomorph is like the ultimate uh, mom. The alien right? queen? Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, should we I I know we kind of glossed over it before, but should we touch on Alice real quickly? Just the final girl of the, the movie? Oh yeah. Maybe maybe that maybe we should move that into in future episodes, because, you know, we're, this is a work in yeah. progress, folks. Uh, yep. Maybe we should have like a final girl discussion during the Voorhees. That sounds good. Segment, yep. but we'll do it here right now. So, yeah. So let's talk about Alice. Uh, where, where do you want to start with Alice? Uh, I I guess what I said before is you're kind of tricked into thinking other characters are going to be perhaps the final girl or the main protagonist. And then out of the blue, it becomes Alice and she ends up being the one surviving. And I, I really love that just how that came into play and how it kind of naturally turns out to be that way. And I, I don't think Alice is a super special final girl. Like she didn't stand out a lot to me. She was kind of by the books, nothing to love about her that much, but I really love just her acting, especially in like the physical scenes that fight between her and Pamela at the end. So good. And just her screams and just her struggling to survive. She does it really, really well. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed her, and I'm really happy that we are discussing this movie as like because I am hot off of just editing my Men, Women, and Chainsaws episodes. So yeah, man, I gotta give those a listen. It sounds awesome. Everything I had to say about those, like with like the final girls and how like they're coded and how they're perceived, this was like a really good like textbook example, kind of like how you just said. But there was kind of something very refreshing to me about just seeing a textbook final girl. Because during, You're right, yeah. Because in, in that Men, Women in Chainsaws episode, Orlean and I spent a good amount of time talking about how Sydney Prescott is like a great final girl. And she's, she is an update on it too because she has sex but still you know, makes it out of there and she's such a badass and everything. But there was kind of something comforting and like refreshing going back to basics with Alice for me personally just like coming off of that episode because she she is different from the rest of her peers in that we see that she she's a handy person i mean she's the one that's putting the gutter back together with steve christie she's one of the first right. counselors there yeah. she's doing handiwork we see that she's like a talented artist just through exposition yeah. with steve christie she does have that virginal complex but it's done in a more subtle way like she turns down steve's advances and then during the strip monopoly stuff, she she she, she did uh, she did like break a rule or whatever. So she was like unbuttoning her blouse, but then plot armor came in for her and the door <laughs> flung open and she like you know they called it quits. While her friend Brenda, who's just in her only her underwear, decides to leave the scene. Um, yeah, and then you know she has like her final girl circuit and everything. So it was cool. It was just kind of cool to be back to basics with her, and she was. I also like appreciated how she was smart, but it wasn't so smart that it was just like, why is there a plot anymore? Just because like she is so smart to get out of this movie. The example I want to bring up when talking about her smartness was when her and Bill were going around the camp looking for other people. This is like towards the end of the movie when it's raining 
and she's like getting freaked out. She goes, I don't know where other people are. People are disappearing. We should just leave. Like, that's like the smartest yeah. thing. She's just like, yeah. fuck them. Let's just leave <laughs> Bill. And Bill's like, nah, it's fine. We're going to stay here. And she just like listens to him. Uh, so <laughs> I just kind of like, I'm, I'm, re- I'm repeating myself, but yeah, I just loved how textbook she was. And there's something kind of like, comforting about that just like oh this is nice and cozy real classic which you don't see nowadays they always change it up in some capacity yeah absolutely and i do love that she she did try to load a rifle but for some reason just didn't (laughs) i I still don't get what happened there but it's just like uh, just plot armor for for the rule of no guns and slasher movies yep yep yeah, I, I like her for what she is in the movie. I, I don't think she stands out, but I'm excited to see because I think she does make an appearance in the part two, Friday the 13th part two, even if it's a short one. So um, I'm excited to see that with fresh eyes. Yes, I am too. And I got to watch uh, on, the, on the bonus features and everything that she wanted to have a bigger role in in that movie, but she was kind of going through a lot like, because of her success from this movie, Friday 13th Part 1, she actually yeah, got a, she had a stalker. stalker or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this was like back in the day when they just didn't take stalking seriously. And so mm. she just had like a lot of stuff going on. And it just kind of like prevented her from having a bigger part in Friday Part 2. Even though she said that she wanted to. She said she wanted to have like a big part because she really liked those movies. But didn't happen that way. Yeah. Oh, man. That's disappointing. Alrighty, it's time for our final segment of the episode, and this is the Cabin in the Woods trinket, and this is perfect. Even mm-hmm. though this isn't a Cabin in the Woods movie, this these are cabins in a woods. Yeah, this is great. Um, <laughs> what 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 kind of what props did you want to put in the basement of the Cabin in the Woods to summon Pamela Voorhees? Oh my goodness! I mean, I had a couple just for like the movie things that I that just stuck out to me. I mentioned it before, but the Native American the Native American headdress that just randomly shows up. Uh, that's quite funny. The, to put a decapitated snake in there. Oh. <laughs> what was up with the snake to begin with? Was that a real snake? I've heard stories about the movie. It must have been, right? That's a sad story. Yeah. That was that, that was a, that was a real snake, but not only was that a real snake, that was like a that was like a trained like acting oh, snake. Oh, you're joking me. No, that was like someone's pet that they just killed without telling them oh, that they're going to do that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's, like, oh. it's super okay, fucked up. We're not putting that in the, we're not putting that in the basement. Not take take the snake out. But um <laughs> I think that the classic one that you have to go to is Pamela's sweater. Um it's iconic. She wears it the whole movie long. It is so good. I, I don't it looks so bad on her though. I don't I don't get it, but it's <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, no. I I had Pamela's sweater as well. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's got to be in there. Um just for shits and giggles, what about Ralph Spike? Just put Ralph Spike down there in the, yeah. in the basement. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Maybe his hat with it. Maybe, yeah. Oh, that would, that's like kind of a perfect one because it's part of the Harbinger character. And that's like what these trinkets are. Like as soon as you pick it up, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, my God. Well, I, I think that those are some great props that we could put down the basement of the cabin in the woods. Yeah, what do you what do you reckon? Um, I guess going forward, the for the other Friday the Thirteenth movies, the one that we, I mean, 
the most iconic thing from each of them is how Jason's masks change. Jason's mask image memory. Do you think let's we should try to be a bit more creative, eh? Well, let's oh see yeah, we, we got it. Something else. We got it because you know with these you know with these trinkets you put down in their basement, mm-hmm. you can't be obvious about what it is. You know, it has to well, be like we go. it has to be innocent enough and interesting enough that somebody would mess with it. So okay, so you know if I'm you put down to like what we pick out. you can't put down like Leatherface's chainsaw because it's like okay, well. That, yeah, that's yeah. obvious. That's a weapon. <laughs> but you know, you gotta put down something from the movie that's like, oh, what is this little thing? Um, so, so yeah. So I, I really okay. like Pam's sweater or Ralph's bike. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's or the, the the Native American headdress. <laughs> because you know what, the Native American headdress is actually like a really sneaky good one because that fuckheads like Ned will be the ones <laughs> that pick it up and do that like yeah horrible uh just just do that like horrible impression of a oh my what, what was he think. wearing as well did he have like underwear on I... he had like yeah he had like his tiny whiteies and he had his like his jersey shirt his jersey wrapped over and it looked like a <laughs> it looked like a miami dolphins jersey like shirt <laughs> i'm not sure but it looks like that which makes me oh, think well. uh ned would be a florida man so <laughs> It looked like he was wearing a nappy or a diaper for like that whole dance. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so I, I guess as we wrap things up, we are, once once we're done with this series, we will do like an official power ranking of how we would rank these yeah. movies. But just, you know, going into it right now, don't say like like the exact number, but just like, would you have this in like your top third, your middle third or bottom third of movies? Uh, for Friday the Thirteenth specifically, part one. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, um, it'll definitely be in my top third. I really, really love this movie. It every time I revisit it, it surprises me with how um, well crafted it is and how mm-hmm. much I don't know if it has been put into it and how many things stand out. Even though, especially what what you mentioned at the start, it's supposed to be just just a rip off, but it's become so iconic in its own right, and I think rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I would. I, I'm I'm going to kind of agree with you. I think I would have this. It would be borderline top third, middle third, mm-hmm. like high high end, middle third, maybe bottom end, top third. But you know, we'll see. We'll see. Before we close the show fully out, I wanted to read a short excerpt from this little nifty book I have called "The Definitive Guide to Horror Movies," and they have fun little excerpts and like little short reviews on horror movies and they have one for friday the 13th part one and i'm going to read their not so glowing review of this movie (laughs) if halloween started the slasher boom friday the 13th provided the template most of its successors slavishly followed with its succession of witless teens wandering off alone into the night to be graphically skewered by farm tools and sporting goods to its credit the film looks relatively glossy makes at least some of its backwoods locations and boasts grisly murders, her main pillaging string scores, rather than the synthesizer noodlings plaguing other low-budget contemporary American product. However, the direction is inept, providing no suspense for the murders that pan out its runtime and the revelation of the killer who has hairy hands and large work boots and is strong enough to... <laughs> Heft a corpse through a window is a con trumped only by Jason's uh, purported survival in the lake for 22 years to emerge as a homicidal aqueduct ape. 
<laughs> but Friday the 13th is less interesting as a film than it is as a brand. Distributed by major studio, it provided major success as a highly profitable franchise, making Jason Voorhees a hugely popular teen horror icon. So kind of a backhanded compliments all, all throughout yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's interesting because I think, do, do you know much about when this movie was initially released? Because I don't think like critics loved it. I think it was quite, um, it's kind of what this review was saying. People um, compared it to better things and just said that it was, uh, it wasn't great. It was just trashy horror. But I think like the audience reactions were pretty crazy. Like I know that um, people got terrified while watching this and it created quite a shock with the gore and everything. So Interesting to see that. I, I definitely agree with parts of that. I, I do think, I don't know, I find it suspenseful still. I don't, and uh, the writer there saying that it's not, no real suspense. I I disagree with that a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Marcy scene has the most suspense, as yeah. I said. Um, I'm trying to look up. I So I do know that like audiences loved this movie when it came out and I, I looked up this and apparently it was like very good at the box office. I was kind of curious to see where in the box offices landed in 1980, but this was going up, going up against some like heavy hitters in 1980. This is the same year that star Wars empire strikes back came out. Um, uh, in a, a, few, a few other like re- really important movies, but this was the 15th most grossing movie in the year 1980, which is like, you know, you're in the top 20 of movies. Yeah. So. I'm just reading these little, um, little snippets of what critics said at the time shamelessly bad movie uh someone here says a sick sickening low budget feature so i don't know like (laughs) it's pretty pretty crazy reactions to it but uh i think it's going to wrap things up today for friday the 13th part one from 1980 the one that started it all Uh, thank you so much jay sure for coming on to do this crazy project with me that we're going to be doing all year uh, it was so much fun to talk about this movie with you where can people find you yeah thanks brother honestly this was absolutely my pleasure i'm looking forward to journeying through this again there's a lot i haven't seen in a long time but yeah if you want to check me out i'm just jay zilla j-a-s-h-e-z-i-l-l-a on instagram twitter all socials and i do a podcast with my brother called podzilla where we watched through all of the old school Toho Kaiju Godzilla movies. We had Brucker on a little while back to talk about a crazy evil giant mushroom movie called Matango, uh, but it was quite good. We both really enjoyed it. So dive into that Matango on Podzilla if, you, if you're interested. Matango was fantastic, and that was an awesome conversation that we got to have on there. And yeah, thank you for inviting me. That was so, so much fun. Um, thank you everybody for listening please be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brucker Horror check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Brucker Horror I want to say thank you to Jasher, Cleveland Tiffany and James uh, and I also want to give a fun shout out to Horror Press be sure to go check out horrorpress.com links in the show notes and there will be links in the show notes for Podzilla as well I'll see you guys next time be sure to not go investigate weird noises in the woods be sure to watch some good movies bye awesome (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.